This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We got a lot to get to today. Get Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune talk football Vikings here in just a little bit. The Vikings play the Bears, of course, on Sunday. A chance to go 4-1. and one. Vikings, one of just eight teams in the NFL with a winning record right now. And that uh, that will form the theme of what I want to talk about here in just a minute. But Ben and I will get deep on the Vikings. A lot of stuff to talk about there. And Ben had a little bit of a perspective, too, from the trip to London. And I thought that was interesting and just the NFL's expansion there and what that means for uh, for the future of the league. End of the show, I'll get to the Wild and Wolves. Both of them looked good in preseason play, undoubtedly going 82-0 and based on everything we've seen so far this season but you know joking aside I think uh, I think the optimism we had about those teams before any of the preseason games that even got started um, is warranted both those teams look good right now and uh, impressive game from Marco Rossi in particular from the wild last night and that bodes well for their future especially as they try to replace the offensive production lost from Kevin Fiala first though what did I miss well I hope you missed it because the only th- like the only thing people seem to be talking about um, from the Thursday night football game between the Broncos and Colts was how bad it is. And it's been a common theme this year, so I thought I would explore that basic question right now. Why is football bad? Why, why do the games this year, by and large, especially a lot of the primetime games, why do they seem like they are just kind of low in quality, boring, um, not really fulfilling to watch. Um, and that one in particular, the final score 12 to 9. Colts beat the Broncos. No touchdowns scored in that game. That one went overtime. Um, they showed Broncos fans streaming out of the exits before the overtime started, right after, uh, right after the game had been tied at, right at the, uh, the end of regulations. You know, I guess they'd just seen enough. And a lot of you had seen enough too, just watching the game on TV. Um, a lot of jokes about Amazon and how maybe they can get their money back for buying that uh, buying the Thursday night package. But let's let's explore some of the reasons as to why the game is so bad, and then we'll get into the game itself here in a little bit too. Um, here's some theories I have. One feels like everybody, or at least a lot of the teams, are running a lot of the same stuff now. There's not a lot of variation, or or at least if people are running different things, there's enough tape, enough film, enough analysis that everybody knows how to defend everybody else. Everybody's trying to scheme up things, but everybody's got to counter a quick adjustment. So you're seeing a lot of stuff that's either not working or it, it, it doesn't work to a large degree, or you're, you're waiting for someone to make a mistake more than you're kind of beating someone just with your best 11 versus someone else's best 11. So I feel like the more um, the more teams are running a lot of the same offense, a lot of the same defense, there's becoming a familiarity, and there hasn't really been that next great new thing to uh, to to, ta- to change the game and separate some of these teams. I think a lot of that too goes into the second point, which is a lot more data out there, right? As as sports get more information, as sports collect more data points on what works, what doesn't work. I think they become more efficient to a certain degree. I think you learn how to win on the margins that way. But as I've talked about multiple times on this show already, it does not make for a better viewing experience in most cases. Think about baseball. The Moneyball era ushered in by you know the A's 20 years ago 
and everybody copying that to a certain degree with the types of hitters that hit for power and draw walks, that has evolved into the modern era of baseball and the three true outcome hitters with everybody trying to lift the ball out of the stadium or walk or get a strikeout. Not everybody, of course, but you know, to a large degree, that style has produced uh, a lot of what we're seeing in baseball. Now we see the shift a lot too, taking away a lot of hits and that incentivizes home runs. Now maybe some of that will change next year with the ban on the shift and you know the pitch clock to a lesser degree in that regard, although I think that will help the the quality of the game. But that's just one example of how a sport has, even if strategically has gotten better, has not improved in how it is watched. I think basketball, to a certain degree, suffers from the same thing, right? I don't think it's aesthetically pleasing to watch teams shoot 43-pointers every game and just do all this drive and kick, get guys open on the perimeter. I don't think that's the best way to watch basketball. It's the most efficient shot. We know that. Um, you know, in addition to free throws and, you know, shots at the rim. So, you know, there is still, I think basketball is still a good product, but I don't think it has been enhanced by the data that we know about what works. I think hockey is kind of in a sweet spot where they don't really suffer from a lot of that. But I think football is kind of coming into that zone now where the more data you have, the more teams know how to defend stuff, the more teams know how to scheme against other schemes. It's just kind of scheme against scheme now instead of, player against player and that uh, that is diluting the product you know one more tangible thing perhaps is just how you know how much how much is being asked of these players they're playing Thursday night they're playing in London they've got Monday night games still of course Sunday night games the preseason is shorter the season is one game longer I think that is just naturally going to take a toll and is also going to cut down on preparation practice things like that like you don't have all of those, you know, moments to get better before the season starts or in season. And I think that is hampering the product that you see on the field. And that was certainly the case on uh, on Thursday night. Now, games like that tend to be magnified because everybody's watching at once. And this could just be small sample size. This will smooth itself out as the season goes along. But that game last night was certainly, you know, just utterly terrible he got to the end and the Col- you know, it was dramatic to a certain degree the Colts were up 12-9 after kicking a field goal in um, in in overtime but the Broncos drove down into the red zone had a fourth and one decided to go for it and uh you know just just the finish of that game Russell Wilson throwing an incomplete pass in the end zone after throwing some interceptions it would have had late great coach Jerry Burns ranting and raving uh AC out there in the flat is the ball thrown in there low that, that isn't Schnelker's fault. Indeed, it's not Schnelker's fault, but what? Uh, whose fault it is, I don't know. I think the league needs to find some sort of way to correct itself, and it has done that, has reinvented itself many times with subtle tweaks over the years. I'm sure they will figure this out, or maybe they'll just ignore it, hope it goes away, and people will watch no matter what. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Friday on Daily Delivery, Ben Gessling often joins me on Fridays to talk Vikings. He was in London for quite a while. He is back now stateside, covered the 28-25 double doink 
victory for the Vikings that got them to three and one. And now, Ben, the task is to not just uh, not just win that game, but win another one now against the Bears with you know travel being what it is. And you've got kind of an interesting stat. Maybe you can share that with me right off the bat. They're, they're trying to do something nobody else has done, right? Yes, Mike, they are trying to make history on Sunday against the Chicago Bears. Uh, this is a probably a, a small sample size, certainly is a small sample size, so we may be making too big a deal out of this, not that anyone in uh, sports media has ever done such a thing, nope, but nope. never. But we will uh, we'll try to keep this in some context. There have been five teams that have played the week after playing in London in other words not taking their bye those teams are two and three in those five games neither of the teams that have won the week after winning in London won their game in London so the Vikings are trying to become the first team to win in London not take their bye the next week and then win the following week so uh, if they're able to pull that off uh, the Packers or the Giants will get a, a shot to try it a week later Whoever wins that game will uh, try to be doing the same thing because neither of those teams is taking their bye that early. But I, I will say they won against the Lions before going to London. They won in London. If they win Sunday and they're four and one going into a Dolphins game, that looks like a tough matchup. But we don't know if it's going to be Tua or we or if it's going to be Teddy. Uh, you and even if you lose that, you're sitting in an awfully good spot going into the bye. If they win Sunday, they're no worse than four and two heading into the bye week. And you think about where they've been the last couple of years where they've had to kind of try to dig themselves out of these early holes. Right. One in five, uh, you know, one in three last year right. trying to get back in it and say, Hey, we're better than everybody thinks we are. And then we're going to fight, fight, fight. And then we end up missing the playoffs by a game getting hot early. Even if it's not terribly pretty, the way they're doing it does, I think matter because you can stack up these wins and say, there's a little bit of margin for error later in the season. So yeah, if they pull this off, if they come back home and win, you know, basically then winning on either end of the London trip and then winning in London itself, not only is that something no one's ever done, it sets them up in a much better position than they've been at any time really since 2016, 2017, when they were uh, the last time in the NFC championship game was 2017, of course. Yeah. But I want to get back to the uh, idea of style points, record, things like that in a minute, before we get too far removed from the London game, though, just interesting, just, you know, the league's footprint there, the Vikings have played there now a few times. Like, the, what's that? Uh, that was their third trip since 2013. They're they, the only team to win in all three venues in London. That's true. Um, another trivia question for you, Vikings yes. in London enthusiasts. But um, it, it's just kind of an interesting proposition. I'm sure the, the league loves it. They get the extra, you know, viewing window, thing, things like that. Do you, do you feel like they... Again, this will kind of be put to the test this week to see how they perform against the Bears. But do you feel like it's getting easier for teams to, to go there as they understand, you know, sleep? They understand, you know, these guys are traveling in such luxury now. Like even the Vikings, you know, have made a big to do about it, but they were only there for you know, less than 72 hours. Do you feel like that's going to, you know, cracking the code is, is probably overused? But, you know, do, they, do you feel like that's it's getting easier for teams to do this? Yeah, a little bit. I think the more you can hack your London trip, so to speak. Yes. Um, London I, hacks. Yeah, London. The more and and teams do share these. I mean, there is certainly right. kind of an assembled knowledge of how to handle London around the league. I mean, the Vikings got their idea for where they were going to stay and practice from the Jets and Dolphins, who had been there in the last couple of years. And you know, so you have operations staffs, you have 
sports science people, you have athletic trainers, all kind of sharing these best practices and the best ways to do these things. And I mean, the Vikings didn't fly into Heathrow. I think they they flew into Stansted, I believe it is, which was closer to the city, a little smaller airport. I think they felt like that would get them in and out a little bit quicker. They they really didn't get home that much later than they would from a say a night game on the East Coast or something like that. They got home at like 2 a.m. on Monday. So there, there's getting to be a little bit more of, I think, a, a knowledge base or a best practice of how to do this. And I, I think that's that may be helping. I mean, you know, some of it is you got to have the better team. I mean, the Saints say, all week and the Vikings did the, the short stay and there are different thought processes with that. And I think when you're the home team, too, it's maybe a little bit different. The Vikings have probably been able to control their own schedule these last two times a little bit better because they weren't the home team. They weren't the team that the league said, hey, you got to do this event and that event and you got to do a couple different things in the city. You know, There's still some of that stuff, I think, that goes into it. So it's easier to do that when you're just the other team that's showing up, so to speak, and you're not the one giving up the home game. But yeah, I, I do think it's getting a little bit easier. Everybody kind of knows where to stay, where to practice. Uh, the the facility at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, I think, is also a big difference. One of the things I heard from a few people with the Vikings was just that, the, I mean, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was built with the idea that it was going to host NFL games. Okay. When, when Tottenham built that place uh, five, six years ago, the idea was this is going to be a, a sort of home for the NFL in London. They're going to play in a couple different places as well, but Tottenham is going to be a big part of it. And one of the things that went into that was let's build locker rooms big enough for NFL offensive linemen. Wembley Stadium does not have those. Twickenham Stadium does not have those. Those are built for uh, soccer players, rugby players who are not as big no. as NFL linemen. So that that's a simple thing. But that's one of the things that I heard this week is that, hey, this place is a lot easier to get our big guys in and have them be comfortable because the locker room is built with an NFL team and its dimensions in mind. So, um, you know, they weren't sharing a soccer locker room or, or a rugby locker room. They had their own thing that was built with their own specifications in mind. I think some of those things help. And I think Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is going to be the home for a lot of this stuff going forward, which probably makes it all a little bit easier. I think the NFL has kind of decided, for better or worse, that a team there having a team that's based there is probably pretty hard to pull off. And right. I think that the, and maybe not even necessary for what they want to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. The workaround may be just to, to do enough of these one-offs to have, a, you know, a, a consistent presence in London, but not deal with the logistics of, Hey, what do we do if this team has to play a playoff game on the West coast or something? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One, you know, some of these, London hacks, as we're talking about them, were wholly dependent on an outcome that was very much in doubt until yeah. the very end of this game. And you know, you so look smart when the double doink goes out. You do, and if it if it goes in and the Saints win the toss and go ahead and win thirty four twenty eight, then maybe this is a different conversation. But this is the conversation we're having right now, and it it does dovetail into what's happening on the field right now. And it's, this is a three and one team that probably hasn't played a really good game since their opener. And Ben, uh, I, I can say this, I, you, you wouldn't say this, but I would, I would sure like to see them just go out and beat the Bears by 17 points on Sunday and feel good about their performance and not just the result. Do you feel like they need that at this point in the season, or do you think they just care about the win right now and they don't really care how the style points come? I, I think it would 
probably be good for everybody's state of mind if they go out and play a complete game. I mean, you know, wins are wins, and they're not going to apologize for those. Certainly not after the last couple of years where we heard from them, you know, telling everybody who would listen that they were better than their record showed. But yeah, I think they would probably like to go out and have a, a good, complete performance. I mean, they, they really, like you said, have not had that since week one. And even that, you could have said the offense was not quite firing on all cylinders in week one for, for parts of that game. I mean, you'd like to see them be better in the red zone. Kirk Cousins has thrown four interceptions in the last three games. You know, that is a bit of a concern. You know, the one last week, I'm sure he wished he could probably have back. Uh, there are probably some of those red zone throws he wished he could have had back. And it, you you wonder a little bit about some of the pressure that's getting to him uh, that that we've seen come up in the last couple of games. They haven't run the ball quite as effectively. So I, I think a lot of the efficiency you want to see is probably on the offensive side of the ball. And you want to see probably a little more pass rush, too. Maybe that happens at home. But, yeah, I, I think it would certainly help their their psyche if they go out and win comfortably and win playing a complete game because really as i wrote earlier in the week the thing that's going the best for them right now is their special teams their special yes. teams probably 100 them that game yes on sunday which is kind of weird to say but uh they have one of the best special teams units in the league by a lot of metrics right now and you could make the argument that they don't win that game without a lot of things that happen on special teams going the way they did Oh, yeah, I mean, the five field goals from Greg Joseph, he was special teams player of the week, and that's probably like a, it's almost a team award sometimes too. And then you had the yeah. the, the fake punt, the the turnover on the punt, like they, yep. that's, you win games on the margins, you win by three, and, you know, they didn't do anything to make that field goal at the end not go in, but, you know, that special team still, I mean, that that was definitely the difference in that game. Yeah, and you, you even look back to some of the previous weeks, I mean, you know, Patrick Peterson blocking that field goal in Philadelphia, they didn't amount to anything, but that was, that game was still in question at that point. That was yeah. the type of play that could have changed that game and given them the spark to get back in it. And then they've been, they've been awfully good on, they haven't been penalized yet on special teams. Um, they've been really good at, at pinning opponents deep in their own territory. I think they, the, opponents distance to goal on their average drive start is the second best in the league right now uh, behind only the uh, special teams mavens in green bay wisconsin who have had a long history of success in that phase of the game uh, dates back about four games i believe is the last <laughs> time they've been any not, good not but familiar to me yeah okay. yeah yeah it was a, a minor issue for them i think at one point or another last year but uh, yeah, and they, the special teams overall for the Vikings has been awfully strong, and that's really without their return game being a big part of it yet. They haven't had a big return, uh, and they've got two very capable return men. It's been coverage. It's been field goal block. Um, it's been Matt Daniels reaching into his bag for a fake punt like he did on Sunday. So that group has helped pick up a offense and defense that have had some incomplete moments. What did you, speaking of kind of that, what did you make of Kevin O'Connell talking this week? I think it was Monday. Um, you know, he just asked a question about assessing Kirk Cousins and says, you know, you got to realize he's something, paraphrasing, but something, something effective. He's only four games. We're only four games into a new system. Um, and the the answer was more nuanced than that. Is that just, is that just Kevin O'Connell stating a fact or is that a, a tell of sorts of what Kevin O'Connell's comfort level is with Kirk Cousins' comfort level right now? 
I think it's probably a little bit of a tell when you pair it with what he said about the third and one play that went through Johnny Munt's hands. He, you know, in so many words, said that was our go-to call in the red zone. And the fact that he didn't feel like I've got another one on fourth and one to go to yard, I'd rather just take the points. It, you know, analytically, everybody said you need to go. I mean, that that's got one of go. those. Yeah, we got go as as analytics uh, hound Chip Scoggins would say. Um, it's it that's where it's an interesting debate because the numbers would say go get a yard but if you're playing the game with people and situations and you're looking at as a coach saying i don't love my options here for how we're actually going to go get this yard it's not all the same so that goes into some of the thinking but i i thought that whole thing was somewhat of an indicator of how he's feeling about all of it right now um and you can kind of come back on that and say, well, okay, you can say it's only four games in, but you guys were also the ones that decided to not play anybody in the preseason. And right. you can, yeah. you, we can debate how useful that is, I suppose. And and everybody would also say to that, hey, this is a pretty healthy team right now um, where it has not been in the last couple of years. You don't mind that, do you? So, right. yeah, there's a lot to it, I think. Um, but, yeah, there's no doubt that they don't feel like they're completely there. And I think Cousins has said it, O'Connell has said it, and you can just see it. I mean, it's just not quite firing in the way that you would hope it would uh, when it looks at its best. Well, and I love the fourth down decision data as much as anybody, and I think we've both written about it in in recent times. But it it, it also, that's a, you know, the data comes from an average, and it comes from every quarterback, comes from every offense, comes from every defense they went against. Like, sometimes you do have to take into account game feel you have to take into account if your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers or if it's Justin Fields or if it's like yeah. you know your your chances of converting a fourth and one with a great quarterback or something else is maybe a little bit different than others but you know that said it, it is maybe a little telling like you're saying that you don't have the confidence at that point or you think the game situation calls for a field goal um, when you do have Kirk Cousins who is by all accounts at least an above average quarterback yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this kind of comes into it. And I, this is still as my dad, who's a, a software engineer likes to talk about with this. I mean, my dad was a math major and computer science guy. He often says, this is a small sample size. I mean, we, we look at years of NFL data, but his point is like, this is not what, you know, Amazon or Best Buy is looking at millions of transactions and, or, you know, hundreds of thousands of data points, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of searches, how long you scroll on something, what you clicked, they are looking at data sets that are much, much larger than what we have in an NFL game where, number one, there just aren't as many points to measure. And number two, there are so many different variables. So yes, it's useful. You and I both write about it. You and I, I think, both believe it's a useful metric, but it is worth keeping some of that in mind, especially like we're talking about when you have a quarterback that is is above average, but not a stone cold killer like the the best of the best. I think we've all yeah, absolutely said that and we see that. And you have an offense that it probably isn't quite comfortable with everything yet. So all of this needs to come into the 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 recipe that that produces the the decision that ultimately gets made and is you know praised or critiqued or whatever it happens to be. But there's there's a lot that goes into this stuff. And I think it's probably worth uh, appreciating the nuance that needs to be part of it when you're the when you're the guy that actually has to sit there and make that decision, not just the ones that sit there and critique whether they like that or not. 
And I think overall they're outscoring opponents only by six on the year. I think it's like 86 yeah. to 80, which means they're only giving up 20 points a game. Sometimes it feels like more than that. I mean, they're still living a little bit on the seven they gave up to Green Bay, but I think you get to the end of the year, you take 20. Um, is it kind of a case where it doesn't feel as satisfying sometimes because they're giving up these chunk plays and they're maybe not there again on defense where they want to be? Or What do you make of the defense through four games? Yeah, I mean, you're not seeing the kind of splashy stuff. It's not big sack numbers and lots of turnovers. I mean, they, they had a fair number of turnovers last week, but you know, one of those special teams contributes to that. Um, I think a lot of it in this day and age is I think you figure if you, we can hold somebody to 21 points, we're going to win most of the time. I mean, it, this is not the era of let's hold people to three points or six points or something like that. It's, it's let's make them, I mean, as O'Connell likes to say, make them snap it one more time. Right. And maybe that means three points instead of seven. I mean, we, heck, we saw that last week. The Saints held the Vikings to three points five times. And if those are sevens, and including a couple of them that probably should have been, this is not a close game. Right. So those swings are, and being able to turn those swings in your favor is a big part, I think, of it, of how it all works in the modern NFL. And it's not impressive where you say, boy, we almost got scored on, we only gave up three instead of seven. But that does tend to be how games get won sometimes. And at the, on the flip side of that, it's where the Vikings are keeping a lot of these things close when they're not cashing in. I think they scored on seven of their, 11 drives on Sunday. Well, you know, 13 points on touchdowns on those and 15 on field goals. So, um, you know, if you can turn even two or three of those other ones into sevens, that game is, is not in question. Will Lutz is not, is not attempting that field goal at the end of the game. They're just frantically trying to come back and kick on sides and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Final thought for you, Ben, like we said at the, said at the beginning, I'm sure for their own psyche, for their own everything, they would love to, put together more of a complete game against the bears. And we had a story in the paper this morning, just kind of interesting on the, the differences between the approaches of these two teams and the, you know, <clears throat> the, the off season approaches and just the parallel tracks of both these teams kind of starting over with new leadership at the same time will be compared to each other probably for years to come. But right now, obviously the Vikings ahead of where the bears are just because of the path they chose. But it, how interesting will that be over the years to kind of watch as the Bears either grow or don't grow, and the Vikings either maintain or fall back. Yeah, extremely interesting, and we need to remember the other reason for that. that Ryan Poles right. was the other finalist for the Vikings, and from what I understand, they, they were very serious about the possibility of hiring him. And, and I think the Bears made a bigger offer in the end, from what I've been told. I, the Vikings, I think, also were fairly adamant on, we want to keep our scouting staff in place. And Ryan Poles is a scout by trade he, you know kind of comes from that world so i i don't know this for sure uh i'm conjecturing a little bit here i the stuff about them wanting to keep their scouting staff I, i've got a fairly good authority i'm conjecturing a little bit in saying perhaps ryan poles was more inclined to have his own scouts have his own kind of people he wanted to bring in there um whereas quasi adolfo mensa might have said i've got no problem with that because i i you know, coming from more of the analytical side of it. And I can certainly pair up with these scouts and, and work with them. Uh, that may have been part of it as well. I, I do know the Bears came in with a big offer late in the game and obviously hired Ryan Poles and then Matt Eberflus becomes the head coach from there. So, yeah, it's certainly worth watching because it's fairly easy to see where the other path may have gone. And you can also 
conjecture, would Ryan Poles have kept things in the state that they're in right now, where the team is still competitive and this we want to be super competitive thing we heard from Mark Wilf is still being heated. I mean, you're not tearing everything down and saying, let's start the whole thing over. Let's just accumulate draft picks. Let's try to play for the future. They are still trying to win right now. They are trying to win on the margins as, as Quasi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell have talked about this competitive rebuild idea. Uh, it, it is a different approach and it's not hard to imagine how else it might have gone given what you've seen in Chicago, because that was the other finalist for the job. So Yes, this is going to be very interesting to watch over the next few years. I mean, really, all of these NFC North teams have undergone fairly major rebuilds in the last four or five years. The Packers are the furthest along because they did it first. Um, you know, they were just at that cycle where they wanted to change their head coach and GM as quickly as they did a few years back. But yeah, there's there's a lot to analyze in the NFC North. A number of different approaches to it and. The Vikings and Bears doing it at the same time that they did with a lot of the same people is certainly going to be worth watching over the next several years. So what you're saying is would Kirk Cousins still be the quarterback here if Ryan Cole, if Ryan Poles had taken this job? I that is a it's a fascinating question. It sounds like a Randall post Friday. I was just thinking about that. Maybe that will be a post Friday after, <laughs> after an air production goes live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's because it, there they did have some of those discussions, at least of what would it look like if we traded cousins, because they did have intrigue and interest in a possible trade for him, and they decided no, we're not going to do it. We're going to extend him. So yeah, I mean we're we're kind of we're down the rabbit hole. Yeah, here. And, and none of this is, it's all hindsight. Like none of this is going yes. to happen, but it's always fun to think about what might've happened. Yeah. And you have all, uh, all these other names that could have crossed paths. You have bears quarterbacks, coach Andrew Janoko coaching Justin Fields, whom the Vikings had at least cursory interest in drafting in 2021. So there are lots of threads here and maybe I, who knows, maybe it'll be another weird Vikings bears game. Like we often tend to get, but yeah, the, the subplots with this, are going to be very, very interesting to chew on over the next few years, as long as the the names in these two teams uh, have so much shared history with one another. Absolutely. Well, the game itself should be interesting. A noon kickoff. This is our first noon kickoff of the year. Am I am I correct in that? Uh, it is their second noon kickoff okay. of the year. They, the Lions was a noon kickoff. Okay, as well. that's right. Finally, we are getting to the point where there's going to be at least a run of noon kickoffs for the next few weeks. Nobody is happier about that than me. If, if the NFL asked me and they don't, uh, I'd put them all at noon. I yeah. Every single week I'd be at noon. I kind of like that eight thirty a.m. start by, but but uh, that's uh, that's a little bit more legwork for uh, for you than uh, than than you would care for the uh, the London. Going getting there is a little more start. difficult. Yes, yeah, a little more difficult. A little more difficult. Well, you guys will be all over this one. Listen to the uh, Access Vikings post game podcast on Sunday, and uh, Ben will do this again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. So I spent the first seven minutes of the show talking about how bad football is. I spent the next twenty three minutes talking to Ben Gessling about. The NFL, nonetheless, and the Vikings game coming up Sunday because that is still an important one. That only leaves a few minutes for preseason NHL and NBA, but I have a couple thoughts there. One, fun to see Rudy Gobert on the court for the Timberwolves. Had a nice game for them. They beat the Lakers. Lakers playing without a lot of their best players, though. No LeBron, no Anthony Davis, no Russell Westbrook, which maybe was a good thing for them, but they still, uh, Wolves go to 2-0 and on the preseason. No Carl Anthony Towns in that game, but hints that maybe he'll be on the court fairly soon bigger though the wild Marco Rossi looking really good so far in this preseason he got a chance to play with 
Uh, Matt Zuccarello and Kirill Kaprizov. He had an assist. He had a first-period goal. Wild won that game four to one over the Blackhawks. I mean, that's 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 pretty impressive. They, they need someone like Marco Rossi if he steps into the lineup and has the sort of impact. I'm not talking about like a Kaprizov like impact, but if he has a Matt Boldy like impact, where he you know can 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 bring that skill, can come up and you know play on a top nine role, can can you know fill fill a need, fill a void of some additional scoring punch, be a two way player. That will be huge for them as an organization, and that was a big step forward just to see him do it with those best players on on Thursday night. That definitely bodes well for the Wild as they, you know, as they try to take try to take a step forward this year, or at least try to not take a step back. So encouraging signs for the Wild and the Wolves. I was joking at the start; they're not going to go eighty-two and zero. Nobody's going to go eighty-two and zero this season. But I think both those teams are in good shape. And I would ask you this question: a question that I, for some reason, am fascinated with every year. Which team do you think will win more games this season, the Wild or the Timberwolves? Last year, the Wild won 53 games. The Wolves won 46. If the Wild merely holds steady, treads water, they'd be in the mid-50s. The Wolves probably hoping to be in the low to mid-50s as well this year. So I think it's a pretty good battle. If I had to guess right now, I might pick the Wolves. I just think the Wolves are maybe a little bit more on the rise and the Wild might fall back a little bit this year. I still think the Wild's a good team, going to make the playoffs, but I think the Wolves might have a little bit more juice. But we will see. If you have thoughts on that, please let me know at Ramble on Twitter, or you can find me on the emails as well. That will do it for today. Should have plenty of good stuff coming up next week, including full coverage of the Vikings-Bears game with Patrick Royce on Monday. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. 